Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. Uh, if you have your Bible, please open up to Joshua 24. Joshua 24, we continue our study through the Old Testament, and we finish our study in the book of Joshua now. Just like we see with Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, we, we have here the farewell discourse of Joshua. Now, it's end of the road for Joshua. He's an old man, but the word of God continues. Remember Paul, where Paul says that, you know, I'm in chains? yes. But the word of God is not in chains. The word goes forth from generation to generation, from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. It's so beautiful. From Moses to Joshua uh, to the prophets uh, to Luke to Paul to Timothy to Titus to John, to us, and for future generations until the Lord comes. You know, and the Lord says, occupy until I come. It's beautiful from generation to generation. And so we have here in our family tree this farewell discourse of Joshua. And we start here, Joshua 24, verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, to Shechem. Now, Shechem means shoulder. Now, in Genesis chapter 48, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember these passages. Now, Genesis 48, verse 22, it's land that Jacob gives to Joseph. It's the portion, which translates as shoulder, the portion above the brothers of Joseph. And, you know, it's it's when you see Shechem in the region of Samaria, also near a town called Sychar. Now, something else is happening in this region. Now, we have the luxury. We're so spoiled today because we have the full counsel of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, and we're so spoiled today. It's, it's beautiful because we have the full counsel of the Word of God. You know, and so, you know, we see Shechem, we see Sikar, and in this region of Samaria, this other event that happens when you fast forward into the future from Joshua 24, there's a woman at the well, a Sumerian woman at the well, non-Jew. And the son of promise shepherds her to the father. This is the site of Jacob's well, his water source. And so when you look at Old Testament passages from the lens of the new covenant, how beautiful it is to see the handiwork of our Lord. Now, to the woman at the well, you know, Jesus, you know, he, you know, th 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 this mountain member, the woman was asking him, like, you know, th th like, you know, you, you, you say you, you're, uh, uh, the Jews say that Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Jesus, son of the most high, whether this mountain, Jerusalem, you know, Jesus says, true worshipers, true worshipers worship the father in spirit and truth. That's what Jesus says. True worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. You see, and Jesus says that the Father is seeking such to worship him in spirit and truth. That's from John chapter 4, verse 23. And sometimes people say, oh, you're such a stickler when it comes to false doctrine. You know, why do you emphasize truth so much? You know, can't we just love and let God take care of the rest? But understand, it's what the Father is seeking Jesus is the one who says true worshipers worship the Father in not just in spirit, in spirit and truth. You see? And that's what the Father is seeking. Jesus is the way and the truth. 
and the life. And our Father is seeking those who abide in Christ. You see, and you see this worship of the Father, it's so holy. And when there's abiding in Jesus, you know, who is the way? Jesus gives the Spirit. He's the one. Remember when, when Mary was holding on to him? You know, when she thought he was dead and she realizes it's Jesus. You know, the tomb is empty and he, she realizes it's Jesus and she grasped onto him. You know, who wouldn't grasp onto him? Now, remember, the men, they were scaredy cats. It was the women who went there. The, the men were scaredy cats and they were hiding. They were like locked up. They, they just didn't because, you know, the, the penalty for following Jesus. I mean, they just crucified him. And they were scaredy cats. It was the beautiful, beautiful warrior women. Beautiful women. And when Mary realizes, oh my goodness, you know, she holds on to Jesus. Who wouldn't hold on to Jesus? And he tells her, no, you have to let me go. You have to let me go because I have not yet ascended to my father. Because remember, he says, you know, when he ascends to his father, he's going to send his spirit. And when you worship Jesus... In truth, remember, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And you do when that formula aligns, now you have the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And God knows those who are his. Remember who are his. If you remember our study in, uh, in Acts chapter 8, remember how they believed in Jesus. They were baptized in Jesus. But they had not yet the Holy Spirit. You see? They did not have the Holy Spirit. They believed in Jesus. They were baptized in Jesus. You have a little fellowship. I mean, I don't mean like a little fellowship. I mean like, you know, it was the, the uh, 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 Philip, the evangelist. And so you have this little fellowship. And then John and Peter come to town and they realize they don't have the Holy Spirit. You see? And then they laid hands and they received the Holy Spirit. And it's so beautiful. Now, you see deviations today where, you know, people, you know, you see like on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, where, you know, the guy will like, you know, like wave his hand and like, the, you know, first 10 rows of the crowd, they fall over. That's a mockery. They're making a mockery of the Holy Spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit. That's an abomination. But God the Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and truth. And when the people, they, you know, the, uh, Philip the evangelist, they became Christians, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And once they received the Holy Spirit, remember Jesus says, I have not yet ascended to my Father, but when I do, I will send the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit, they have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, except for one, Simon. Simon, because of wickedness in his heart. You see? And to worship the Father in spirit is to abide in Christ. And there is the promise of the seal of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gives the Spirit. But don't forget the Bible says, you know, we're told not to extinguish the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Which, you know, look at the Greek, it translates as do not extinguish the Spirit. And it is entirely possible to extinguish the Spirit. Don't do that. The remnant, don't do that. Now, within this framework is found life and life everlasting. So, you know, people say, oh, you're such a stickler. You're such a slick stickler. No, it's not that at all. I'm a slave. That's what it is. I'm a slave and my master would have it no other way. 
So when we see this passage in Joshua 24, it's at Shechem, but oh my goodness, there's a lot baked into the cake of Shechem. There is a whole lot because remember, we're spoiled. We have the full counsel of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. And we see like, wow, these other events that happen at Shechem in this grand story that the Lord is telling to those who have ears, to those who have eyes. And so Joshua in verse one here, Joshua 24, he gathers all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Verse two, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now understand, anyone can say, thus saith the Lord. Anybody can say it. Now, you might be listening for the first time and be like, oh my goodness, anybody can say, thus saith the Lord? Yes. Hear me out for a moment. If you're listening for the first time, if you've been walking with us for a while, you, 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 you understand the depth to that. But if you're listening for the first time, welcome. But understand that anybody can say, thus saith the Lord. Now, for the person who says that, thus saith the Lord, even today, Old Testament and even today, for a person to say that, thus saith the Lord, it might be safe for them or it might be deadly for them because God will deal with them. That's for them. But what about you? I mean, when somebody says, thus saith the Lord, there's two parties to it. There's the person who says it and then there's you. Understand when somebody says, thus saith the Lord, there's the two parties. There's the person who says it and then there's you. Now, what about you? Now, the person can say that. That's one party. They can say it all they want. But what about you? Is it safe? Is it safe for you to heed just anyone? Oh, but he's saying, thus saith the Lord. But she is saying, thus saith the Lord. She calls herself a prophetess. He is saying, thus saith the Lord. She is saying, thus, thus saith the Lord. But the question is this. That's them. Let's, that's, that's one party. Let's put them to the side for a moment and let's focus on you. Is it safe for you to heed that person? Is it safe for you to heed just anyone? The answer is no. I mean, was it safe for, was it safe for Israel to heed Korah? Remember, Moses would say, thus saith the Lord. And Korah, would, you know, Korah took it upon himself. Well, you know, if God can speak to Moses, then, you know, surely God can speak to me too and through me too. So, okay, you know, thus saith the Lord. Hey, everybody, thus saith the Lord. It was safe for Israel to heed Moses. But was it safe for Israel to heed Korah? Was it safe for Judah to heed the prophets of Jeremiah's time? They all said, Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. You see? But the Lord, in His Word, He gives us very, very specific information on who is qualified to even utter the words, thus saith the Lord. You and me, we must understand the formula. Because many fools speak, many, many fools speak, the idiotes. The, the Bible calls them idiots. I mean, they're false prophets and false teachers. And, but the Bible calls them idiots, idiotes, without understanding. Many fools speak and the Bible reveals this guy, this person, this gal, 
Don't forget, Philip had prophetess daughters. You see? And the Bible reveals, the Lord says, look at the fruit, look at the fruit. I mean, if somebody wants to live in a manner that is not according to the word of God, they can speak all they want. But understand, when the formula is not right, you cannot heed the fool. And it's so powerful because here we are in Joshua 24. And Israel under Joshua, beautiful, beautiful. Remember, leadership matters. But you're going to see other leaders in place, other priests come into place. You're going to see these other factions which serve in a leadership capacity. And they also say, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. But when you understand formula, you realize this guy is saying, thus saith the Lord, but that ain't the Lord. Remember in Jeremiah's day? Jeremiah, he had a little, when, when he was uh, with the Lord and walking with the, I mean, he was walking with the Lord, but I mean, when, when the Lord says, you know, Jeremiah was like, hey, look, there's these priests, there's these prophets, and in, in his interaction with the Lord, the Lord is like straight up, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, those aren't my guys. I'm not with them. They can say, thus saith the Lord all they want, but I'm not with them. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the Lord says to Jeremiah. They can call themselves prophets. You know, they're going to die. There, there's penalty for that. They can do that all they want. Remember, there's two parties. When somebody says that, you know, oh, look, I'm a Christian. Look, the Lord has given me the gift of prophecy. And thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And, oh, this is pleasing to the Lord. And the Lord wants you to do this. The Lord wants you to do this. Be very careful because the Bible has a very, very specific formula that you and me, we must understand. And when you see the formula, especially with pastors, when you see the formula with pastors, remember, we have our pastoral epistles. If you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our studies to the pastoral epistles. Everything's resourced there for you. The, the way underground.com, the way underground.com, everything's housed there for you so you can listen and you can know. And when you listen to the pastoral epistles, you know, like, okay, these are the biblical qualifications. So it's safe for me to submit myself to this guy's a pastor. It is safe to submit myself to this guy because he watches out for my soul, as the Bible says. He watches out for my soul. You see? These are men who the Lord has tasked to shepherd his people to paradise. You see? And the Lord has these people. Old Testament, New Testament. Remember Amos? Amos is like, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. The Lord's like, hey, Amos, surprise, you're my guy. Formula was right in Amos. You know what I love about Amos? He wasn't even expecting. He wasn't like, oh, look, I'm going to be like a, 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 a mega pastor. I'm going to be a mega church pastor. I'm going to be the best prophet. In no, he was just minding his own business, a shepherd. Not even, he, he was a shepherd, but not even of his own flock. He was a worker for a rich guy. He was a shepherd in the rich guy's flock. And he said, look, I'm no, I, I, I'm no prophet, nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord says, hey, the formula's right in you, Amos. You're my guy. You see? And Joshua here, leadership, the Israel under the leadership of Joshua, it is so beautiful. It is so safe. But Joshua is an old man. He's dying. What about that next generation, not just of righteousness, the next generation of leadership?
There's a big problem in churches today where people treat churches like a family business. You have a guy who's a pastor and he's getting old and, you know, oh, look, I'm 65. I'm going to retire now. Like they, they treat it like it's a, a carnal job. You know, does, where does the Bible say, you know, at age 65, you get to retire? And yet what do we see in churches today? You see pastors, oh, I'm 65 years old. I'm going to retire. Foolishness. And so you see these guys, well, you know, my son, you know, like, you know, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a good job. You know, he's kind of a loser. He's sleeping in the basement. And so he's going to be the next pastor. Whoa, 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 whoa. It doesn't work that way. I can understand if, you know, if it was a, if you had like, you know, a store or a shop or something and, you know, okay, you know, give it to your son, whatever, you know. But in the church, God's house, God's house is God's business. God's flock. Those are God's people. They need to be led properly. Very specific instructions. And so you have these pastors today. Well, you know, my son, he's a loser. He's in the basement and, you know, he can't get a job. He can't hold a job. So I'm going to make him the next pastor. They treat it like it's a family business. Or you have a guy who has no sons. He just has daughters. Well, I know the Bible says, you know, women can't be pastors, but, you know, I'm 65, I want to retire, and you know, the, the, my daughter, she's going to be the next pastor. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not how it works. The church isn't like, you know, a, a corner store. No, the church has a cornerstone. His name is Jesus. And he has very specific instructions to shepherd his people to paradise. There's a big problem here because Joshua, he's an old man. He's dying. And under Joshua, Israel is safe. Remember what Paul says to, 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 to Timothy? He says, Timothy, teach sound doctrine because in so doing, you're going to save yourself and those who hear you. You see? Yourself and those who hear you. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Very specific formula. For us today so that we can know. You know, I mean, you, you have people today, oh, the Bible says I have to submit to my pastor, so I'm going to submit to my pastor. You know, five years later, they're not even walking with the Lord. A couple years later, they're grave soaking. A couple years later, they're practicing abominations in their home. Oh, but the Bible says I got to submit to my pastor. Yeah, but the Bible says what a pastor is. The Bible says what are the qualifications for pastors? You see? And it's so powerful because leadership matters. So you have Joshua here. You have Joshua here in verse 2. He's saying, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Now, We've studied these moments of harlotry. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, I mean, some of the passages in the Old Testament, I mean, we're, we're in Joshua, but I mean, we've had passages in, in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy that were very, very painful. Because you see what happens with idolatry. You see what happens when a person turns their back on the Lord. And we have looked at and studied these moments of harlotry in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. Turning backs away from the Lord. In Hebrews, I mean, we study this. The writer of Hebrews warns again, warns. 
you know, be, be, Hebrews chapter 3, beware, brethren. Beware, brethren, lest there be an evil heart of unbelief. Remember, there's ample warning, Old Testament and New Testament, ample warning. Remember the rear view mirror we brought up several weeks ago? I mean, when you're driving your car, you have glass around you. The biggest piece of glass is your windshield. That's the biggest piece of glass because you're going forward. But then, you know, in front of your face, you have other little glass. They're called mirrors. One's on the left side, one's on the right side, and, you know, one's on top, the, the rear view mirror. But the biggest piece of glass is the windshield because we're going forward and we need to see forward. But the, the little glass, the rear view mirror and the side mirrors, they allow us to see behind. Now, when we're driving our cars, you know, you, you don't have your eyes stuck in the, in the mirror. But from time to time, you got to look in the mirror. And that's what's happening here in Joshua 24. Let's look at the past, O Israel. Let's look at the past, O people of the way. Let's look at the past. And here in, in, in verse 2, he says they served other gods. In verse 3, then I, you know, he's giving like an account of what happened. You know, thus saith the Lord in verse 2. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham. Remember, Joshua said, thus saith the Lord. Joshua is speaking as a conduit right now, as a vessel faithful to the Most High. The qualifications for Joshua to speak in this capacity, off the charts. He meets those qualifiers. He meets those qualifications. An Old Testament example of the full package. Not package one, not package two, not package three. We're talking full package. He meets those qualifications. And speaking in this manner as conduit. Looking in the rear view mirror and reflecting back on the work that the Lord has done. How beautiful are his works. He says in verse 3, Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. Isaac in the Hebrew translates as laughter. I love that so much. It translates as laughter. Don't forget the three laughs. Don't forget the three laughs because Abraham, he's an old guy. Abraham, he was an old guy. His wife, she was an old gal. And God says, you're going to have a son. Now, Genesis 17, verse 17, Abraham laughed. God says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And don't forget, he's an old man. His wife's an old lady. In Genesis 17, verse 17, Abraham laughed. In Genesis 18, verse 12, Sarah laughed. In Genesis 21, verse 3, God laughed. Because remember, in Genesis 17, God told Abraham, you shall name him Isaac. I love that. Don't forget the three laughs. Don't forget the three laughs. And I love this so much because you see the faith of Abraham. And yet, even he had to laugh at the thought of having a son. A son. Remember, he has, it's the same with his wife. They were, they were old. I mean, you talk to old people. I mean, you know, say if you're like, you're, you're like young and you talk to an old guy who's like, you know, 42. <laughs> say you talk to an old guy who's like, you know, 78 years old. 
And he has a wife who's like 77. And you say, you know, hey, you guys are going to have a baby. You, they're going to laugh at you. What? They're old. I mean, you know, if you're old, praise be to the Lord. But I'm just talking about like for, for having babies, you know. And that's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. God says, hey, you're going to have a son. And it's like, you know, like, what? I'm old. Sarah hears about it. What? I'm old. And when they have their baby boy, you shall name him Isaac. God laughs. You see? There are times. There are times and there will always be times when things seem impossible. But what's impossible for God? What's impossible with God? Straight up, point blank. What's impossible for God? I mean, it just so happens we studied, you know, on, uh, on Sunday, it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And that, even, that, that just stretches the possibilities even further. That means that his promises that we read in the Bible, they are not impossible. They are entirely possible. Don't forget there is effectuation. What is the special recipe for effectuation? And that's what we have in the word of God. That's what we study in the word of God. That's what faithful shepherds teach to shepherd God's people to him, to paradise. Oneness with Jesus. I mean, look at Israel here, here in Joshua 24. The, 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 the inheritance is freshly given. It's freshly given. I mean, if, if we were to go back in time to this particular moment in Joshua 24, Look at everything that has happened. The inheritance is freshly given. But to reach this point? To get here? There's a lot to fathom. A lot has happened. Across multiple generations to get to this point. And God, he was faithful. The whole time he was faithful. He is faithful and he will forever be faithful. He never changes. Remember, the Bible says, I'm the Lord. I never change. That's what he says. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. And it's beautiful. Notice what happens here in verse 4. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. Now, God gave these children to Isaac. I, I have something to say to parents. I have something to say to parents, and I love you. If you're a parent, I love you. I mean, if you're not a parent, I love you too. But when you have a fresh newborn, understand that child belongs to the Lord. That child belongs to the Lord. Baby girl, she belongs to the Lord. She belongs to God. At age two, baby girl belongs to God. At age 10, baby girl belongs... Well, let's rephrase that. A freshly born baby girl. She belongs to God. At age two, she belongs to God. At age 10, let's rephrase it a little bit. Does baby girl belong to God? At age 15, we'll say it again in the form of a question. Does baby girl belong to God? At age 20, does baby girl belong to God? Or can baby girl be approached? Do you know the Lord? 
And she says, no. No, I don't know anything about him. You see? I mean, if you're a parent, you tell me. Son or daughter. Does baby girl belong to the Lord? I mean, if you have a son, does baby boy belong to the Lord? Or has baby girl forgotten the Lord? Has baby girl denied the Lord? Has baby girl even known the Lord? You see, parents, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But what role did you play to that end? I mean, at age 20, if I were to go to baby girl, I mean, she's not a baby anymore, but she's an adult. If I were to go to baby girl, I mean, the parents, yeah, they all, you know, an 80-year-old guy is going to speak to his 60-year-old daughter as baby girl all the time. That's what happens. I mean, it's just baby girl forever. So if I were to go to, say, 30-year-old baby girl, she's not a baby anymore. And I said, do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? What if she's 18? Do you know the Lord? 15, do you know the Lord? Now she says, yes, I'm so in love with the Lord. I walk with them. I talk with them. And, you know, we're one. And praise be to the Lord. Well done, parents. But what if the opposite can be said? What if baby girl says, nope, I want nothing to do with him. Parents, what role did you play? To get to that point, what role did you play? You see, I understand it's entirely shocking. I understand completely. I get, you know, listen, sometimes truth hurts. Truth hurts. But when you understand what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches and understands that the Lord loves godly offspring, a freshly born baby girl, she belongs to the Lord. She's freshly born. Where the Bible says, when you before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you, I formed you in your mother's womb. And she's freshly born. She belongs to the Lord. But what about at age 15? What about at age 20? Does she know the Lord? Has she forgotten the Lord? You see? Now, if you're a parent and you're listening and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Now, I understand completely that, that there is that aspect of like, wow, you know, but get right with God. It's so simple. Get right with God. Believe in Jesus. You come to Jesus right here, right now. Hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. And then let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. Let's go get baby girl. Let's go get your son. And let's win them to Christ. You see? Now, if you have old kids, it's a lot tougher. It's a lot tougher. It's much easier when they're little because their minds are so... They can be shaped. They can be molded. They can still happen when, it, when, it, when they're adults. It can, they can still be shaped and molded, but it's, it's a lot harder. It's a little harder in some cases. In other cases, it's a lot harder. But never lose hope. I mean, if you're a parent and you're listening and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know. Praise the Lord that you didn't know. But now that you do know, let's get things right. Let's get you right with the Lord. Let's get you cleaned up. 
Let's get you cleaned up. You're right with the Lord. You committed your life to Jesus Christ. Okay, praise be the Lord. Now let's go fishing. And let's go win, baby girl, to Christ. Let's go win your son to Christ. Very important to understand what the word of God teaches. And for him, he loves godly offspring. The next generation of righteousness. And don't forget, the next generation of righteousness, they need leaders. What about the next generation of people in ministry? Men and women serving the Lord in ministry. Now, women have a little cap. Pastors, elders, always male. But don't forget, Priscilla, she taught a pastor, but Priscilla had the covering of her husband, Aquila. Lydia, Phoebe, remember to Rome, Paul says, hey, you know, like she's coming to town, listen to her, do what she says. She's with me. She has male covering, Paul, and, you know, do what she says. She's with me in the ministry. Male covering. Coverings are always male. You see? When the formula is not right, there is no covering. And it's so beautiful when we see when things are done right, when the formula is right. In a home, in a person, in a home, in a family, in a church, with the pastor. That's, that's special. I mean... I wish there were a word. There probably is a word. I just don't know it. But that is ultra, ultra special. It's rare. It's very special. You're like, well, wait a second. We're in, we're in Joshua 24. Why is this guy talking about like raising kids and stuff? Well, Jacob and Esau, children of Isaac. Look at verse 4. Here to, to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. You see, for both Jacob and Esau, the ball was in their court. And the Lord responded. You see, Isaac, he had a choice to make. Am I going to walk with the Lord or not? Jacob, he had a choice to make. Am I going to walk with the Lord or not? Esau, he had a choice to make. Am I going to walk with the Lord or not? You see, for both Jacob and Esau, they had a choice to make. And the Lord, remember, the Lord is reactionary. See, the Calvinist. Oh, God loved, God loved Jacob and Esau God hated. That's what the Calvinists would say. And the Calvinists do say. But understand, Esau made his choice. The Bible says he was a godless fornicator. And God responded. God responds to wickedness. God responds to righteousness. And he also responds to repentance. You see? Now you look at the children of Isaac where, you know, where the Bible does say, God does say, you know, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. But when you open the word and you read the word, the entirety of the word, you see how the Lord responded to the choices of Jacob and Esau. How Jacob honored the Lord and Esau did not honor the Lord. He was a, a godless fornicator is what the Bible says. And the Lord responded. You see? Now, is it Isaac's fault? Did Isaac not raise Esau right? You see, parents give kids tools and guidance and correction and praise and 
The love taps, the devil taps from time to time. Hey, tap, tap. No cookies, no cookies. Baby girl's eating a cookie, okay? I said no cookies. Now, double tap. Love taps. The good double tap, not the bad double tap. You see? The child responds. Don't forget. Obedience. And we just studied this in Hebrews. Obedience is a learned thing. Children can learn obedience. Adults can learn obedience. Obedience unto the Lord. You see? Don't forget. It's not Esau that was in Egyptian bondage. His bondage was a different kind. Very important to remember that. And so you, you have here, as the Lord is giving this account, historical account of his handiwork, using his vessel, Joshua, and all the children, they're gathered here, the children of Israel. Remember verse 1, the, the, all the tribes of Israel. And so we have here in verse 5, also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. You see? Remember, just a quick look in the rearview mirror. Israel can recollect these matters. In verse 6, Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord in verse 7. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. You see, it's interesting to see this line of distinction. And that's how it translates. It's darkness. It's like there's a line of distinction. Understand, as it happened in Egypt, so it will happen again. That darkness in these last days will grow darker and darker and darker and darker. And it is a line of distinction. And it can be clearly seen. Clearly seen. Give me an example. Have you ever been in a place, in an environment? It could be a small place. It could be a big place or location, wherever. But have you ever been somewhere where God is unknown? You know the Lord. But where that location is, God is unknown. Now, there's various reasons why this is if god is unknown is various reasons why this is it could now could be a believer or a non-believer you say wait a second how how can it be god is unknown among a believer remember formula a formula look at alexander and himenaeus they believed but did they follow you see what about what what what, what paul says to timothy if a guy doesn't provide for his own family, he's worse than a non-believer. He believes in Jesus, but is he obeying Jesus? The answer is no. And if the answer is no, that reveals that God is unknown. Remember, formula. Formula, it's got to be right. Because remember, belief, faith, it's a package deal. 
It's a package deal, just like we studied in Hebrews, and we're going to continue studying, and we're going to keep studying, and I'm going to keep mentioning this, that faith is a package deal. You and me, we go get a burger. We want to, you know, we meet for lunch, and we're going to eat lunch, and we got the munchies, and we're going to go to a burger joint. We go to the burger joint and say, hey, give me number one. I'm nicely, you know, like, can I please have a number one? You know, I look at, oh, you go first, you know, got to be a gentleman here. So you go first, and, you know, what would you like? And you say, hey, I'll have a number one. Can I please have a number one? You know, we're, we're, we have to be cordial. Can I please have a number one? Now, you're not ordering a singular thing. You're going to get a burger. You're going to get fries. We'll say tater tots. We'll say, you know, we'll get the number two instead. Number two, that's the burger and tater tots and a soda. And then it's my turn. You know what? I'll have a number two as well. Thank you, kind sir. We ordered a singular thing. We, or I mean, we, we each said number two. You, you said number two. I said number two. But are we getting a singular thing? No. We're getting our burger. We're getting tater tots. And we're getting a soda. In that same manner, faith is a package deal. What's the package deal? Faith and works. Belief and obedience. Package deal. You see? And sometimes the darkness, it's severely palpable. Severely palpable. You're in a place where God is unknown. You know the Lord. And you're in a place, an environment where God is not known. For various reasons. You might be with non-believers. You might be with people who believe, but with the wrong formula, not understanding that faith is a package deal. They say they believe, but there's no obedience. There's no works. And it's like, wow, this is dark. There's that line of demarcation, the line of distinction. Just like we see in Egypt. With Goshen. There was darkness in Egypt, but there was light in Goshen. By contrast, have you ever been where God is known among people, among people of the light? This is called Ecclesia. This is love feast. And the same way, I shouldn't even say the same way in similar manner. As darkness is palpable, so is the light. So is the light. And the Lord speaking through Joshua is reminding the children of Israel that there was darkness between you and Egypt. It was that line of demarcation. Listen, it's dark here in Egypt, but there is Goshen. There is light with Israel. And in verse 7, there's that recollection. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them. Your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. You see, the darkness wasn't forever. The darkness wasn't forever. Every single time God judges, every single time, there is an open door to align with him. Every single time. There's always that door. Now, the people must choose. It's not like a conveyor belt where like we stand on it and, you know, he forces us in, in a forward momentum. No. 
We must choose. Am I with the gods of Egypt or the God of Israel? Am I with the gods of Canaan or the God of Israel? Am I with the gods of Babylon or the God of Israel? Now, that was like a, 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 a brief glance through the Old Testament. You know, the gods of Egypt, the gods of Canaan, the gods of Babylon. And the choice is, am I with them or am I with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel? What about today? Am I with Buddha or the God of Israel? Am I with, Ma am I with Mary and Rome or the God of Israel? You see? The God of Israel, he has a son, the seed of promise. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father only through him. And his name is Jesus. If you're listening and you did not heed my prior call, if you're listening, you're not a believer, and you didn't heed my, my prior call for you to repent, my prior urging for you to repent, I'll say it again. Hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do that right here, right now. You commit your life to Jesus Christ because God loves you. Understand, God loves you. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Specifically says, might be saved. Might, 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 might be saved. You know what that means? Balls in your court. Balls in your court. You have a choice to make. And praise be to the Lord. Because this door of grace, it's open. It's not going to be open forever. Prophetically speaking, it will not be open forever. Don't forget, every time there is judgment, there is an open door. But the door it doesn't stay open forever. And this recollection that's happening, a brief look in the rear view mirror, and Joshua speaking, thus saith the Lord. In verse 7, your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and it was a long time. An 11-day journey turned into 40 years. Now, that happened for a reason. That happened for a reason. Go back and listen to our studies through Numbers, and you'll understand, wow, that 11-day journey turned into 40 years for a reason. It's because of disobedience, the disobedience of Israel. 11 days. 11 days turned into 40 years. Now, praise be to the Lord that we're in the promised land right now in Joshua 24, but oh my goodness, a lot has happened. A lot has happened and the Lord was faithful. But at the same time, the Lord responded to the choices of the people. Disobedience was a choice. Disobedience is always a choice. And in the case of Israel, the 11 days became 40 years as a result of their disobedience. It happened for a reason. Go back and listen to our studies. I mean, if, you were, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know. But if you're a new listener, welcome. But go back and listen to those studies in Numbers. And while you're at it, you know, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and then get caught up here in Joshua. 
And it's so beautiful what the Lord has done. And that's what the Lord is reminding the people. A little look through the rearview mirror. In verse 8, And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Now, remember, anytime judgment comes, that there's always opportunity to align with God. But before judgment, that that door is always open. You know, God doesn't force anybody to, 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 to walk through the door. You know, people must choose from, for themselves. There's not a conveyor belt where it's like, okay, you're on the conveyor belt and boom, you're going to fly through the door. No. You know what Jesus says? He says, I am the door. For us today, judgment is coming. And today there still remains a door and that door is open. You see, I can't force anyone. You can't force anyone. But if you're a non-believer, listen, I was there. The sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, I was there. And I tell you the truth, it is better here. To abide in Christ, it is better here. And I tell you from experience. We see here in verse 9, in this historical account, a little brief look through the rearview mirror in verse 9. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel. Remember, remember Balak's war strategy? We see Balak as a type of Satan and what he learned through the counsel of Balaam. And you know, oh, how, how am I going to defeat Israel? Do I send my mighty male warriors? No, he sent the women, you see. And in the course of time, through sex, Israel was worshiping Baal. See? That's, we see Balak as a type of Satan. And this is something that he learned through the counsel of Balaam. And yes, you know, when we had that moment in our study and even reference to those moments of harlotry and idolatry where Israel was worshiping Baal and how they got to that point, mm, it's, it's painful. I don't like talking about it. I don't like, it's, it's painful. It's, the ick factor is off the charts, but yet it happened. And yet it happens still today. The worship of other gods through sex. The worship of other gods through drugs, through alcohol, through the Ouija board, through uh, the the Virgin Mary, through Buddha. Oh, you're too hardcore. You're too hardcore. God is love. God is love. Yes, God is love. And he gives very specific instructions because he's a God of love. I meant... What parent says, you know, yeah, baby girl, I love you, but go fend for yourself. Hey, baby girl, I love baby girls like three years old. Hey, baby girl, go get a job. You know, pick me up a pizza. Yeah, baby girl, she's three years old. Baby girl, you know, go get a job. Here, here's the car keys. Hey, baby girl, go drive your car on your way home. Get a job, but on your way home, you bring me a pizza. No, that would be foolishness. Baby girl's going to die. Baby girl, I love you. Here's my car keys. Go get a pizza. 
Go get a job. She's three years old. Oh, baby girl, I love you. I love you. I love you. Well, because of love, a parent gives very specific instructions to teach baby girl so that baby girl can learn to walk, learn to obey, learn to do all kinds of, you know, work with their hands, work with, you know, run with their feet and, you know, whatever, you know. A parent trains, a parent teaches. How much more our Father in heaven? Yes, he's a God of love, but there are instructions. You see, instructions. He doesn't just say, well, you know, I love you and okay, boom. I love you. Have a nice life. No, he's, I love you. And let us walk together. Let us walk together. You see? And you have in, with Balak and through the counsel of Balaam, he learned how to defeat Israel. And how to defeat Israel was to get them to turn their back away from the Lord. How did he do that? The women. Not the warriors, the women. You see? And so we see in verse 9 how, you know, King Moab, the, the, then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose to make war against you and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Very interesting what we see here because Balaam does not have closeness. Well, Balaam. At the beginning, he does have closeness with God. And that seems like a good thing. And it is a good thing at that moment. But when the formula is not right, that changes. And that's what we see in Balaam. I mean, you see Balaam's intimacy with the Lord, which is a good thing. And when the formula is right, it is a good thing. But does formula stay good? Does formula stay good? The answer is no. We just, on Sunday, it just so happens, it just so happens. Remember the cultivation from Hebrews 6 on Sunday? It just so happens we studied this. Because with Balaam here in verse 10, God would not listen. Balaam was on the wrong frequency. Remember the radio station? If we want to listen to a radio station, say it's like, you know, like 98.3. I, I just made that number up. I don't know. If you're listening in an area where 98.3 is like, you know, like, you know, hardcore rock and roll, death metal and stuff. That's just, I just said 98.3. I'm just saying 98.3. So say, for example, we're on 98.3 and we're listening to classical music. 98.3, we're listening to classical music. Now, what happens if the knob turns? Well, we're not, we're not going to be on the classical station. You see? And that's what happened with Balaam. He was on the right frequency. He had his intimacy with the Lord. But remember how he was seduced? Remember how he was paid money, money, money? What is it that took him off that frequency? You see? 
We see Balak as a type of Satan. And we see how he seduces. Then you see the fall of Balaam. To the point where Balaam, here in verse 10, God just straight up says, Hey, I'm not listening to him. You see? In verse 10, therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. It's like, wait a second. Wait a second. How could this be? How can blessing be a God thing? Or, or, or how can blessing be a bad thing? How can blessing be a bad thing? Well, understand this. Say there's a person, male or female, and the person loves you and blesses you and buys you something, for example. Oh, look, I love you and I'm going to buy you this because, you know, it's not as an expression of love, but just look out of love. Here's a little, here's a little something. You know, I, want. I, I want you to have this, you know, it's, and it's totally innocent. Blessing. And blessing can take multiple forms, but in this particular example here, I love you and I'm going to bless you with, you know, whatever it is. I'm going to bless you with this. Uh, you know, you could use it. I know you, you, you know, you're going to love it. And the person loves it. And you say, blessing. But a year passes and the person still blesses. Uh, buy you something. And then another year passes. Same thing. Another year passes. Same thing. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And it sounds fantastic. And it's beautiful. It's totally innocent. And yes, it's a it's a blessing. Look, I'm like, you know, I don't have any shoes or my shoes are all worn out. And my friend bought me a pair of shoes. He wanted to bless me. My friend, she bought me a pair of shoes and she wanted to bless me. Okay, look, it's, look, it's a nice blessing. And it is a blessing. Absolutely. But. But. If the formula is wrong in the person who says he or she is blessing, if that formula is wrong, the blessing can seem like a blessing, but now it gets dangerous. There's a danger when you look at motive and intent where you think it's a blessing, but it's really a bribe. Very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. You see, you and me, we cannot see the heart. God can. We can see the fruit, which is the aftermath of a heart's choices. And yes, there is such a thing as discernment, which is a big deal. It's a huge deal. But sometimes God's deliverance isn't exactly known, just obedience. You say, wait a second, what do you mean God's deliverance isn't known? Well, do you remember in Matthew 2? If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember Matthew 2. And in Matthew 2, picture the joy and excitement of having a newborn baby. And in Matthew 2, that's exactly what happened. Jesus born. And in Matthew 2, verse 13, behold, an angel of the Lord appealed, appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, Take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek, will seek the young child to destroy him. You see, what was Joseph able to discern? What fruit was there? There, there wasn't any. I mean, in Herod, 
There wasn't any. I mean, there was no interaction with Herod. What could Joseph discern? What fruit could Joseph look at in Herod? But the Lord, using a vessel, which was an angel, gave instructions for safety. That's what we mean when we say that, you know, sometimes deliverance isn't exactly known, but obedience is still required. Because Joseph, he, he, he didn't discern like, you know, Herod and, you know, the behaviors of Herod and the, 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 they were excited to have a, a fresh baby. Praise be to the Lord. But then the angel spoke to them. Hey, go. Flee to Egypt. You see? Instructions for safety. And these are things that are going to be on overdrive in the last days. They're going to be on overdrive in the last days. But only for the remnant. There's a very precise reason and very precise importance why we stress formula. Formula, 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 formula. Because if you're in a fellowship where the shepherds deny the power, the moving, and the gifts of the Spirit, you are not safe. If they make a mockery of the power and the moving of the gifts of the Spirit, you are not safe. And in the last days, the Lord will give real-time instructions. Real-time instructions. Only, only to the remnant. Remember in Hebrews, on our study in Hebrews several weeks ago in chapter 1, verse 14? And the word of God reveals that angels are ministering spirits, very specifically, to those who will inherit salvation. In the Greek says, to the heirs of deliverance. Angels, real-time instructions, just like we see with Joseph. When the angel says, hey, flee to Egypt. We're going to see very real-time instructions, real-time guidance where discernment, like, you know, looking at fruit and discerning, you know, a person, an individual, there's going to be those aspects in play too, but there's going to be other aspects in play where it's like the Lord's just going to straight up say, hey, very specific instructions, you know, turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, you know, go straight, you know, very specific instructions. And it's only for the remnant. And when I say remnant, it's more like a remnant within the remnant. Remember, in Revelation 2 and 3, in the book of Revelation 2 and 3, there are seven churches. Seven churches. Only two are safe. That's Smyrna and Philadelphia. But when you look at Smyrna and Philadelphia, the greatest safety is only found in one. Only found in one. Very specific instructions. Real-time. Real-time guidance. And you have Christians today, people who believe. They, they say they believe. And they say, oh, that was what you see in the book of Acts. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Now, when they say it's not for today, they're wrong to make the blanket statement that, you know, that was for another dispensation. But they're very right. Very right when they say it's not for today, when it applies to them. They're lamps without oil. Lamps without oil. These are things 
that the Lord is reminding Israel about. When Balaam, when the frequency, when Balaam was on the wrong frequency, when the formula in Balaam was wrong. I didn't listen to Balaam. He continued to bless you, but I delivered you out of his hand. Oh, look, we got a nice blessing. We got a nice blessing. We got a nice blessing. And it might be fine and dandy, but in the course of time, is it a bribe? Is there something else at work? You see? And the Lord knows the heart. The people might not have been able to perceive that Balaam was wicked. But God knew. Balaam turned wicked. You see? And the blessings of Balaam, we can't consider them blessings. You see? And the Lord says in verse 10, so I delivered you out of his hand. In verse 11, then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. You see, observe Israel, observe Israel, observe Israel according to the flesh. According to the flesh. What about us? What about you and me? What about deliverance from sex, drugs, alcohol, rock and roll, the whole nine yards? We have victory in Christ over these strongholds and praise be to the Lord. But does victory stay victory? Does victory stay victory straight up? Remember what Jesus says about the demon when the demon leaves a person? And praise be to the Lord because the demon is left. The person is free in Christ and praise Jesus. But does victory stay victory? The answer is no. You know what happens? The demon leaves. The person is free. But then the demon, he comes back. But he doesn't come back alone. He comes back with more demons that are worse than him. And if he comes back and he comes back and sees that you know, how the Bible translate this it, it, when, when, you, when you read the text, that guy's on spiritual vacation. Spiritual vacation. He's not, you know, he's like, you know, uh, like, you know, like just uh, take it, taking it easy. He's not on the mat learning how to fight. He's not training for hand to hand combat. He's just spiritual vacation. Taking it easy. Oh, God is love. God is love. God is love. And when the demons come and they see, oh, he's on spiritual vacation. They come back and the Bible says the state of that man is worse than the first. But what happens when a person is possessed and they're free in Christ? The demon leaves and praise be to the Lord. Now you have a Christian. A baby believer, but that baby is rolling on, rolling on the mat, learning how to fight, is a toddler learning how to fight, you know, is like a teenager learning how to fight and training and all these things, hand-to-hand -hand combat, weapon systems, all these different things. And then the demon comes back. Remember the demon with the sons of Siva? Where they say, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who in the world are you? What can demons say today? And I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't want to know the minds of the demons. But I wonder what they would say today. I wonder if they just laugh. 
They have no reason to fear. Why? Because the so-called pastors have not trained. Have not trained themselves and they haven't trained the flock of God. These are things that are going to be on overdrive in the last days. You think of all the people who have been, been free in Christ. Free in Christ. Praise be to the Lord. Victory in Christ. Praise be to the Lord. But what's going to happen when those demons that fleed from their host because of salvation in Jesus Christ and belief in Jesus Christ, what's going to happen when Satan and the demons who know their time is short, when they amp up their fight and they return to their host, what do you think is going to happen to those people? If they've been on spiritual vacation, you know, what's going to happen straight up? They've been on spiritual vacation. Oh, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go to this, this, this nice little church where they never read the Bible. I'm going to go to this church. Look, I'm going to feel good about myself. You know, they're never going to reach to teach from the Bible. You know, you might have a Bible study for 10 minutes and oh, we'll have a nice little social club. And oh, look, I like this guy. Oh, look, I like this lady. Very nice people. What's going to happen when those demons return? Do you think the person's going to be ready? Do you think the person's going to be trained up? Do you think he's going to know how to fight? Do you think he's going to know how to engage? Do you think she's going to know how to engage? And I'm talking warfare. I'm talking hand-to-hand. I'm talking let's get down and dirty. But... According to the spirit. I'm not talking about according to the flesh. According to the flesh, that's 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 the flesh. I'm talking about according to the spirit. Do you think Christians in the last days will be able to fight? The remnant? Yes. You see? Pastors today who get a bad rap. Oh, he's such a stickler. Oh, look, he's, uh, he, he's, he's mean-spirited. He says, you know, I do my sex and he says I need to repent. Oh, look, he's so mean. Oh, look, I do my crack and he says to repent. Oh, look, he's so mean. God is love. These are men who say to repent for a reason. Because they know formula. Tiny churches, the pastors of tiny churches. The mega churches. Those guys don't teach how to fight. Oh, don't say guy. Look, it's a female pastor, female pastor. Okay. She can't teach to fight. She can say it all she wants. But proof is in the pudding. She cannot teach to fight. You see? And those demons, they're going to come back. And they're going to be like, it's going to be on because they know their time is short. You have people who are saved from drugs and alcohol and sexual perversions and gambling and addictions. And praise be to the Lord, they're rescued from those things. But does victory stay victory? In the case of Israel, does victory stay victory? The answer is no. What does Jesus say about the guy? The demon left him. Victory in Christ. But does victory stay victory? Jesus warns. 
he wants. If that guy's going to be on his spiritual vacation, when those demons, not if, when those demons come back, and for sure they will return, he says the state of that guy is going to be worse than the first. So you have a crackhead. Becomes free in Christ. And praise be to the Lord because he believes in Jesus and there's victory. But what happens 10 years later when those demons come back? What happens five years later? What happens five months later when those demons come back? When the demon comes back, but not alone. He comes back with his friends. And if that person, oh, I want to go to church where I feel good about myself. I want to go to church where the past, I can do my sex and the pastor says I don't have to repent. I can do my drugs and the pastor says don't repent. I tried that church and he's so mean, he's so mean, he's so mean. When those demons come back and they see that guy's on spiritual vacation and he's not ready for that fight, it's going to be on overdrive in the last days. Don't forget, the falling away is one of the signs of the last days. And the falling away, it's happening right before our eyes. You see someone who's, you know, on drugs and free in Christ. But five months later, five years later, it's like, wow, they're on more drugs. And now we throw in the sex. Now we throw in the alcohol. It's like, wow, this guy is worse. And, you know, he, he says he was a Christian. This guy's worse than when he wasn't a Christian. And people, you know, Satan likes that. Because now he can use that example as precisely that, an example. You see, someone says, oh, you know, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, believe in Jesus. And someone says, what? Why do I want Jesus? Because look at this guy. He was on drugs and he believed in Jesus and now he's worse. Look at this lady. She was on drugs and she believed in Jesus and now she's worse. Look at this other guy. He was a sex head and he believed in Jesus and now he's worse. If that's Christianity, then I want nothing to do with it. And, you know, I completely understand. I completely understand. I get it. But what the person isn't seeing is that, yeah, they believed in Jesus. But where did they go to train? Where did they go to be equipped? Who was the one who was training? Who was the one who was equipping because if that person is defunct, if that person doesn't meet those biblical qualifiers, and if that person doesn't meet those qualifiers, there's going to be no equipping. There's going to be no training. There's going to be no instruction in righteousness. Yeah, the person can feel good all he wants. The, the lady can feel good all she wants. Oh, I want to go to church. I feel good about myself. Listen, and I tell you the truth. The only way that you're going to feel good about yourself, the only way is when you're obedient to Christ. That's the only way. When you're going to feel good is in obedience and abiding in Christ. You see? You say, wait a second, I thought this was Joshua's farewell dissertation. I thought he was giving a farewell exhortation. It's supposed to be good words. Yes, it's good words. 
Remember, we're spoiled. We have the full counsel of the word of God. And in very short time, Israel will become apostate. It breaks my heart. And it's going to break your heart too when we study it. It hurts. I don't like it. Remember the love-hate relationship I had with our studies in the book of Corinth? I love the Corinthian saints, but wow, I hate that that even happened. But I'm thankful that it did because it teaches us. The Lord shows us. Notice here in verse 12 in Joshua 24, verse 12, I sent the hornet. Translates in Hebrew as the stinging hornet. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Now, excuse me. In verse 12 here. Where it is written, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. We don't read about this in Joshua. I mean, we hear, we hear in, in, in 24, but Joshua 24, verse 12. This is the first we've heard of it. And you know what? I love it. I love it so much. You know why? Because it's something the Lord told Moses a long, long, long ago. If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Exodus chapter 23? Because that's where it's found in Exodus 23, verse 28. It's also found in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 20. The Lord told Moses long ago in Exodus 23, verse 28. And Moses reminded the people in Deuteronomy 7, verse 20. And here in Joshua 24, Joshua is reminding the people here. I wonder how many people forgot. I wonder how many people of Israel, they go into town and they fight and they have victory and they just figure like, wow, that was a piece of cake. That was a piece of cake. Look, we're just, you know, it's just us and we go in, we fight. Oh yeah, piece of cake. That was easy. I wonder what was brewing in their hearts. Like, wow, look, I'm a tough guy. I mean, if I'm not, I don't want to get carnal or anything, but if you ever in a fight and you won, that brews something inside of you, inside of your mind. I mean, if you ever get in a fight and you lose, it also brews something too. But I'm not trying to get carnal here. I'm just saying. But I wonder what happened here when, you know, they come to town, they fight, and they're like, wow, that was, that was a piece of cake. Pride. Look, we're tough. We're tough. Pride sets in. And they forget. It's the Lord who made it easy. And he used hornets, the stinging hornets. For Israel, the hornet wasn't a plague. But for the opposing forces, the hornet was a plague. This is something that every single one of us needs to remember as we progress further in the events of the last days. Because plagues are coming. Absolutely, plagues are coming. But to whom plagues inflict? That's another matter. And we say it again. We stress formula for a reason. And so here in verse 12, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. You see, remember Joshua is in a, you know, in a thus saith the Lord capacity here. And he's reminding the people that, you know, God fought for you. 
Not your sword, not your bow. It's not your strength. It's God's strength. God did this. The hornets, that wasn't you. Not with your sword, not with your bow. It reminds me of Paul. When Paul says, when I am weak, I am strong. You see? It's a complete and total reliance on the Lord. Complete and total reliance on the Lord. God's strength. And so we see here in verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. And you dwelt in them. You eat of the vineyards and the olive groves, the olive groves which you did not plant. Now, it seems good for Israel and bad for the other people. Now, this is a, a major point of contention with anti-Semitics and anti-Zionists. But they don't understand what's happening. They don't understand what has happened and what is happening. Now, listen, when God makes himself known, people have a choice to make. I mean, in verse 13, we just like you read that. Like verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them and you eat of the vineyards and the olive groves, which you did not plant. And it seems good and it is good. But understand that God shows favor. Remember in Deuteronomy, remember you're going into this land, but it's not because you're awesome. You are a stiff-necked people. It's because of their wickedness. Remember? How many times did we stress that? And how many times do we keep on stressing it? We do that for a reason. It's not because you're awesome. It's because of their wickedness. God also shows favor to Israel's enemies when Israel denies God. I mean, we see in verse 13 that this land, you didn't labor. Cities, you didn't build. The vineyards and olive groves, you didn't plant. And yet it's for Israel. But the same favor is also shown to the enemies of Israel. And it happens when Israel denies the Lord, a form of chastisement. Remember Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar, God says, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. How, no disrespect to the Lord, but how wild is that? When this instrument of destruction upon Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, And the Lord says, he is my servant. What? And when I say how wild is that? No disrespect to the Lord. I mean, it's wild. Like, whoa, like what is happening here for? Okay, let's let's pan pan this out. You have Israel and they're under threat from the Babylonians led by Nebuchadnezzar. And you figure, wow, you know, Israel, you know, God is with Israel. God is with Israel. But when the Lord speaks to his prophets, the Lord says, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. I'm with Nebuchadnezzar, a vessel of chastisement. Nebuchadnezzar takes over the land that he didn't labor for, he didn't build, he didn't plant. You see, it goes both ways. 
This happens when Israel denies God. You see? Just like we said earlier, does victory stay victory? No. It can stay victory, but it's a very specific formula. Now, I teach from America and understand that in America, and this is common in Western cultures, it's common around the world. Wherever you are, I, I love you. I don't care. You might be American. You might be Chinese. You might be Russian. You might be uh, from Zimbabwe. You might be from Chile. You might be from Great Britain. You might be from anywhere. Japan. I love you. Demographics are rapidly changing around the world. Now, politically speaking, and I, I, I teach from America, so I have like this American perspective and a lot of people rail. Oh, we have to fight against this. Look, you know, this, the, 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 the demographics are changing and immigration this and immigration that. And we got to fight against this. We have to oppose these politicians. And listen, I get it. I understand. And at a certain level, I'm in agreement. But I get it. But the question is, how do we fight? How do we fight? Are we to fight carnally? Remember, it is righteousness that exalts a nation. What happens when God is forgotten in a land? I mean, when God is forgotten in a family, which I don't like, you know, but when it when God is forgotten in a family, we see what happens. You have a family say, oh, we're Christians, we're Christians, we're Christians. Okay. Praise be to the Lord. Everybody's Christian, okay. But in the course of time, Doctrine starts to reveal itself. And if the doctrine isn't right, you're going to start to see the rot. You're going to start to see the works of the flesh. You're going to start to see the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the, you know, the Ouija boards, the occult. You're going to start to when the, oh, but we're Christians, we're Christian. Okay. But the proof is in the pudding. Just like with Balaam. Balaam, when he was on the right frequency and he had intimacy with the Lord. I mean, the Bible refers to him as a prophet. He has intimacy with the Lord, but does he stay that way? No. I meant to be blessed by Balaam at one time. It was like, wow, we're blessed of Balaam. But when the frequency wasn't right, when the formula wasn't right, now, those aren't blessings anymore. The people might say, oh, look, it's a blessing of Balaam. But God says, no, that's dangerous. You look at a guy, hey, look, I want to bless you. Here's some shoes. I see your shoes. You're poor. They're falling. Your shoes are falling apart. Look, I got you some shoes. Wow, cool. Thank you. Thank you, brother. A sister, look, I got you some shoes. Oh, wow. Thank you, sister. Look, I see your pants. They got holes in them and all this stuff. Like, oh, wow. I see you're poor. Oh, thank you, sister. But in the course of time, you've been blessed. Now, in the course of time, they become bribes. Hey, look, I got you these shoes. I got you these pants. I got you this shirt. I got you this car. 
You say, well, that's, you're going a little too far there. A car? Well, just... You'd be surprised what happens. And the formula, when that is wrong in the person, they start to use it as tools of manipulation. Hey, look, I got you those shoes now. Now you owe me this. Look, I got you these, these pants. Now you owe me this. Look, I got you that car. Now you owe me this. You start to see manipulation. That's evil. That's wicked. That's the way of Satan. That's the way of Lucifer. See? Oh, but it's nice Christian family. They can say it all they want, just like thus saith the Lord. Anybody can say thus saith the Lord. But you got to look at the fruit. You got to have discernment. And don't forget, angels minister. And that formula, that is ultra specific. And it's going to happen in the last days. It's already happening. That's going to be on overdrive in the last days. But you're going to see it only within the remnant. Just like with Joseph, where the angel says, hey, go to Egypt. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, go to Egypt. Flee to Egypt. I have to admit, me personally, I mean, if I can reveal my flesh a little bit, like I like a fight. Like the, the, the angel says, hey, flee to wherever, flee to, you know, um, go to uh, Tokyo, hey, flee to Tokyo, hey, flee to uh, 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 Chile, flee to, you know, uh, Zimbabwe, flee to uh, Moscow, you know. There's a side, it's like, you know, I want to fight, you know, that that's just my flesh. If I could really like, like hey, I want to fight. I mean, you know, not carnally. Well, there's that too, but I mean, the Lord has killed that, but. To be so dead, to be so dead in the flesh, in these earth suits of ours, to be so dead, ultra dead, where it is no longer you or me who lives, but Christ who lives in us. I'm talking about a very, very specific formula. Very, very holy recipe, which is finite. Where the Lord says, hey. Flee to hear. Okay, Lord. Okay, Lord. If you're a pastor, hey, everybody, let's go. I've heard of accounts. Where there was major devastation, like natural disasters, or like you know, I say natural disasters, but you know this. Sometimes there's a reason behind that, but you know sometimes there's like war zones or like you know uprisings that happen. But then you talk to the Christians when they report of what happened, like they, they, like you you see reports of what happened in the aftermath of that. Like you know things have calmed down, and you know they're able to like report and speak. And with very few, you have little churches, tiny churches. I say, no, the, the Lord told us to go to high ground. You know, like three days prior, the Lord told us to go to high ground. And so we went to high ground. And then, you know, the tsunami came, the floods came. 
You see, in real time. In real time. You talk to tiny churches, church Christians in tiny churches. Is everybody okay? Is everybody there was like an uprising? Is everybody okay? Yeah, we were all present and accounted for. Oh, praise be the Lord. What, what happened? Well, we, you know, everything was fine and dandy. We didn't know everything was happening like this. And but you know, there was a sister in the church, and she has the gift of prophecy. Now you talk to a Calvinist, oh strange fire. Oh, that's strange fire. <laughs> the Calvinist churches got caught up in that. It wasn't the Calvinist churches who, you know, oh, that's strange fire, that's strange fire. Oh, that was for another dispensation. That was the for 2,000 years ago. That's not for today. Okay, wrong frequency. But the ones who are on the right frequency? No, this sister has the gift of prophecy and she came and spoke to the pastor and they prayed and okay. Church, tiny church, you know, like 10 people. Let's go to this other part of town. Let's go to this other part of the state. Let's go to this other part. Let's go over here. We don't know what's happening, but you know, this. the Lord is working. The Lord is at work. So they go. And come to find out there's like a uprising, up upheaval in the town major devastation major major devastation but the tiny church they're safe led by the lord in real time you see oh but that's for another dispensation that's not for the day the holy spirit doesn't move that way okay listen you've heard us say before when you hear people say that they can say they're christian all they want But these doctrines, they're going to be exposed as fallacies as we get deeper in the last days. Oh, that was for another dispensation. What they're revealing to you is they're on the wrong frequency. That they do not have those sensitivities to the spirit. You see? And angels do minister as the word of God says. Remember... It is impossible for God to lie. Why would he say that if it didn't apply? The angels don't minister to heirs of deliverance. No, it does apply. It is absolutely in play. The gifts of the spirit absolutely in play. God doesn't lie. So why is it that we don't see it today, by and large? It's not God. It's the people. You see? It's the people. Wrong formula. Wrong frequency. Being exposed in the last days. Oh, but she started out so well. He started out so well. So did Balaam. You see? Oh, but they have victory in Christ. We're warned about that. Does victory stay victory? No. The demons, Satan and the demons, they know their time is short. 
And they come ready for a fight. They want to fight. They come to kill. Who's ready for that? Who's ready for that? And I don't want to sound carnal in saying that, but like in, in saying this, but like to be ready for a fight, to be ready for a deadly fight, that takes something. I mean, let's forget weapons. There's something there. It, it, it takes something. And I don't, I don't want to get carnal in saying that. But the same thing applies to the spirit. And the fight is according to the spirit. You see? And when people tell you, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. They're revealing their own fallacies to you. They're also reve revealing the inherent Danger behind following. Why? Because the effectuation of promises that God has in his word, and he doesn't lie, it is impossible for God to lie. Well, if it's impossible for God to lie, why would he say in his word that angels minister to the saints? That angels minister to the saints who are heirs of, uh, 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 of deliverance. Why would he say, indicate these gifts of the spirit? Why would he indicate the power of the spirit, the moving of the spirit, the real time direction and guidance if it were not true? Listen, it is absolutely true. Well, so why don't we see it? Look at the people. Wrong frequency. Straight up, wrong frequency. Well, if that's the case, then they're in trouble. Thank you. That's precisely the point. They're in trouble. Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? You see? When God is forgotten... In a land, and we see it in homes, we see it in churches. When God is forgotten in a country, in a land, in a region, biblically speaking, his blessings dissipate. Where blessings turn to curse, curse turns to judgment, judgment turns to wrath. That's what happens. That's the framework that he operates in. We see it all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. You say, how can it be New Testament? Wrath is coming. Judgment is coming. The blessings, they're not as widespread as before. The curses, more widespread. Judgment, we see hints of judgment already. You see? Now, understand, biblically speaking and prophetically speaking, Judgment begins with the church. It begins with the church. Today, church is no longer a safe place. I mean, somebody says, oh, look, I'm a brand new Christian. I said, Praise be to the Lord. But then, you know, I, like I worry, like, where, where are you going to go to church? Where is the godly man that you can safely submit yourself to? Where is he? It used to be, you know, like, oh, look, I'm a new Christian. It's like, okay, you know, go, go here, go there. This is safe. This is safe. We can't do that anymore. We're not in Kansas anymore. 
the church is no longer a safe place. It is entering judgment. Now, this judgment, which the Bible says, starts with the church. I'm a very firm believer that the last day's church will be home fellowships. As the remnant jumps ship. They jump from the ship of apostasy. We have Christians today. And I've had these conversations. It's very painful to leave a fellowship. I've been going to church. I've been going to this church. My, my parents raised me here. And I know that, that I've been going here my whole life. And it pains me to leave this fellowship. It's like, listen. Our union, our alliance, our loyalty, our marriage. It's unto Jesus. And Jesus alone. If that church has become Laodicea, where Jesus on the outside, then you jumping ship is not unsafe. It is very safe. It is very sound. Because our loyalty is to Jesus. You see? When saints today are jumping ship from apostasy, there's very few options for fellowship. And judgment begins in the church and then it spreads through the land. And these are all precursory events to God's wrath and of God's wrath. Now, the saint is not appointed to wrath, but the saint of today is not like the saint of tomorrow. You say, wait a minute, what, is he, what, is, what does he mean by saying that? The saint of today is not like the saint of tomorrow. You know why? We got a lot of dying to do. We got a lot of dying to do. Dying to the flesh. Every single doctrine, every single one, every single form of thought, every single dogma, every single doctrine will absolutely 100% fail except for one except for one there is only one that is safe you see When we see verse 13, it's like, oh, you know, a lot of anti-Semites, anti-Zionists. Oh, look, you know, I have given you the land which you did not labor. Oh, it's not fair. Cities you did not build. It's not fair. Vineyards, olive groves, which you did not plant. It's not fair. Well, in the course of time, remember, you're not inheriting this land because you're awesome. Remember Deuteronomy? There's a reason. Yes, it's according to promise. But at the same time, when remember the, 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 the fullness of uh, trespass, the fullness of sin. And then you see like how the Lord moves and when the Lord moves. Seventy weeks are decreed. You see. Who is the one who abides in Christ today? Who is the one who abides in Christ today? 
as the remnant. And so we continue in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. You see, serve God in truth and without blemish. That's how it translates in the Hebrew, without blemish. Remember, nothing mangy, nothing mangy. It's like, you know, put yourself in the camp of Israel at this particular moment in Joshua 24. You make offering to the Lord. Okay, you know, got a a turtle dove, nothing mangy. Okay, got a sheep here. Okay, nothing mangy. Got a lamb over here, okay, nothing mangy. Got an ox over here, okay, nothing mangy. But what about us? What about us? Nothing mangy. What about you and me today? Nothing mangy. You see? Washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we see here in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. I have something to say to children, to kids. My little brothers, my little sisters in Christ. Something that is very difficult in ministry, for me, is when kids express confusion and talking to little kids, sometimes as young as seven years old, sometimes as old as 17, 18, 19, 20, you know, 15-year-olds, 12-year-olds. And these children, these kids, they express confusion. And the kid comes to me boy, girl, they say, listen, I understand what you teach. I get it. And how you teach it, I get it. But man, my parents, my mom, my dad. And it breaks my heart when there's confusion in the home. And to talk with these kids, listen, You don't need to be confused. I mean, you see the confusion, but as for you, you don't need to be confused. Because the confusion is not with you. It's like, wait a second, but God is not the author of confusion. His word says that. That's exactly the point. That's precisely my point. God is not the author of confusion. And it happens when parents deny the Lord. When mom and dad, they deny the Lord and serve other gods. You see? That's what happens. Kids, my young brothers, my young sisters in Christ, I love you. My message to you is this. Let no one despise your youth. You say, yo, I'm 12 years old. I'm just a 12-year-old kid. I don't care. I mean, I care, but I meant like... I know 15-year-olds that are more mature than 80-year-olds. 15-year-old kid. 15-year-old girl and like a 75-year-old lady. Oh, but they're Christian, they're Christian, and you know, she's 75 years old. Surely she has wisdom. No, she doesn't. She's straight up crazy. Oh, but she believes in Jesus. She believes in Jesus. 
She walked with God and she was so in tune with the Lord. So was Balaam. Kids, let no one despise your youth. I don't care if you're 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And I stop at eight. I stop at seventeen because at eighteen, okay, jump ship. And I don't mean jump ship like you know from you know, the false doctor. I mean jump ship like leave home. I mean if kids could you know get an apartment or buy a house at age fifteen, I'd say hey jump ship at age fifteen. But legally, you got to be eighteen. So seventeen, eighteen, boom, you're out. In a good way. That's just my position. You know, let's. We grow, we mature together in Christ, but then it's like, okay, you got to flap your wings. Your beautiful, beautiful wings, you got to start flapping. When you understand formula and recipe, you know what's happening. Oh, but my mom and dad, I'm so confused because... I get what the Bible says, you know, and you know, this teaching and this and this, and yes, I'm growing, I'm maturing, and yes, and yes. But my mom, but my dad, and this is confusion. And yes, it's in my home. But to talk with these kids and listen, you know exactly what's happening. It's sad, it breaks my heart. Mom and dad are forgetting the Lord. And when you know what's happening, you, my young brother, my young sister, you can pray, you can fight, you can encourage and be of good cheer because you know that you have not neglected the Lord. You have not denied the Lord. even as others in your family have done exactly that, denied the Lord and forgotten the Lord. It's very sobering, very, very sobering. I'm not saying like, okay, you know, they've denied the Lord, you know, everything's fine and dandy. No. The Bible refers to the last days as times of sorrows for a reason. Not singular, not time of sorrow. Times, plural, of sorrows, plural. It means it's going to be sad, very sad, and it is sad. Look at verse 14 here. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord, explanation point, exclamation point. Serve the Lord. I love that. Remember, this is an old man Joshua speaking. And he's speaking in, you know, thus saith the Lord capacity. But it's old man Joshua speaking. The younger generation. Second generation he's speaking to. But at this point, the second generation, they've had kids and they've got grandkids. And an old man Joshua served the Lord. You see? Put away the gods which your father served. Parents, put away the, the gods which they served, your parents served, your grandparents served. Put away those gods. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, who has a son, his name is Jesus. Serve him. 
Look at verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Whoa, that's that's like, well, where is he going with this? If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Remember, Joshua is speaking and, you know, as conduit and a thus saith the Lord capacity, but we also see his own exhortations. And I love this so much because it reminds me of the manifold vessels that God uses. Where, according to the flesh, James, brother James, is a little bit more polished than brother Peter. Isaiah is a little bit more polished than Amos. But in the eyes of God, those are my vessels. Those are my vessels. Today, today, everybody, everybody, everybody emphasizes family. Oh, family is everything. Oh, but we're family. Look, we're blood. Look, we're, look, we're brothers. We're sisters. I'm your parent. I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I'm your uncle. I'm your grandpappy. Look, family, 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 family. We're blood. What about the blood of Jesus? What about the blood of Jesus? What about his blood that runs through the spiritual veins of the righteous? What about that family? What about those brothers and sisters? What about these heirs of Abraham by faith, according to promise? Joshua is saying some pretty hard-hitting things. It's pretty hardcore. I love it. He says, if it seems evil to you, in verse 15, to serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Evil to serve the Lord? How can that be? I mean, remember, verse 14 I mean, put yourself in that situation where, you know, oh, I love my mom, I love my dad, I love my grandpappy, I love my grandparents, my uncles, my cousins, and third cousins, and second cousins, whatever that means. I don't, I've never understood that, you know, like people say second, third cousins, and, you know, I never understood that, so I'm just saying that because I know people use that, so, you know, third cousin, oh, my family, my brothers, my sisters, and uncles, and nephews, and nieces, Grandparents, great-grandparents. And then you have old man Joshua. Put away the gods which your father served. Whoa. And it's like, wait, but I love my fathers. And when he says fathers, you know, it's like there's lineage there. I love my mom. I love my dad. I love my grandma, my grandpa. Great-grandma, great-grandma. Picture the younger generation here. Picture the kids of the second generation. Picture the grandkids of that second generation. Oh, who's this old guy? He, this old guy, he's just going to... He's just going to talk like that? I love my family. You know, I love... I love the lineage of my family. And this old guy, he's just going to... He's just going to say this? Put away the gods which your father served? Oh, I'm offended. I'm offended. How dare he say that? And then he goes further in verse 15. But it, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. But my mom. My mom, my dad, 
But my brothers, but my sisters, but my grandpappy. But the Lord. What about the Lord? What about the Lord? In Matthew 10, verse 34, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. Don't think that. The Prince of Peace is saying, don't think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Very sobering. Very, very sobering. And as Jesus did, and as Joshua did, so I do. And I'm calling you out. Right here, right now, I'm calling you out. Come to Jesus. Straight up, I'm calling you out. You love mom more than Jesus? I'm calling you out. You love dad more than Jesus? I'm calling you out. You love son or, da or daughter more than Jesus? I'm calling you out. You love grandpappy, uncle, nephew, cousin, third cousin, second cousin more than Jesus? I'm calling you out right here, right now. Come to Jesus. You listen to the message how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you come to Jesus. You repent and come to Jesus. Then let's go fishing. And let's win them to Christ. Old man Joshua in verse 15. If it seems evil. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. He says in verse 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. I love this so much. Calvinists don't like it. Calvinists don't like it all. Choose for yourselves. Oh, God is sovereign and he has ordained all things to happen. That's what the Calvinists would say. Okay. Why does Joshua say choose for yourselves? You ask the Calvinists. You know, they say, oh, God is sovereign and he ordains all things to happen and we don't have a choice. And Okay. All you got to do is ask a question. Why does Joshua say choose for yourselves? Why? Then they, you know, formulate their answer and they come up with like some brainiac answer. Well, the geosyncratic perpendicular circumference of the coaxial medulla oblongata. They come up with these, they speak the, 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 the logic. They appeal to the logic and intellect. They can't explain it. They can't explain it. They can explain it according to the flesh, but that's the flesh. And it's the carnal who soak it up and they believe it. The blind following the blind, exactly what Jesus warns against. Now, if you're a Calvinist, I love you. If you're reformed, I love you, but you got to jump ship. 
because you have the Calvinist teachers today, the pastors today are teaching from the pulpit. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Now, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, I love you, but we have the resources. Go to thewayunderground.com and go to the Calvinist page, <laughs> the Reform page. Learn all about it. All those resources are there for you so that you can learn. You're like, wow, I think I'm going to jump ship. But then you like listen to those studies. You're like, okay, I'm out. I'm definitely jumping ship. So you might think like, wow, you know what? I, this guy, there's a little something to this guy. I think I might jump ship. I don't know. He says here to go listen to these studies. Let me check it out. I'm going to go listen to these studies. And then you're going to realize, you're going to see like, oh my goodness, I'm not just thinking about jumping ship. I'm out. I got to jump ship. And welcome aboard. Oh, but I love my mom. I love my dad. I, okay. But more than Jesus? That's a big deal. beautiful old man Joshua. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river. Notice the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river. Notice not the land of promise, not balls in your court. Picture old man Joshua speaking to the children of Israel. You want to follow your parents? Look, they're dead. And in addition, they're not here in the promised land. Remember Jesus? When he calls his disciples, he says, follow me. They say, hold on, we got to go. We have a funeral. We got a family funeral. We got to go be with the family. Nice little family event. Nice little family event. We got a nice little funeral here. And yes, it's sad, but you know, we're going to have a nice meal afterwards. And look, I get to see my cousins. I get to see my aunts. I get to see my relatives. I get to see my uncles, my grandpappy. I get to see my mom, my dad, and all this. That's nice. You know what Jesus says? Let the dead bury the dead. That's what he says. Whoa. Let the dead bury their own. That's what Jesus says. That's hardcore. And so when Joshua is saying this, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, Choose right now, right here, right now. I'm calling you out. You want to serve the idols? You want to serve the gods of, you know, mom and dad, you can love them all you want. You want to serve what they serve? They're on the other side of the river. They're not in the promised land. They're on the other side. Balls in your court. Choose for yourselves. We all have biological family. And this warning is against the biological family. It's like, wait a second, how can that be? Because there's another way to walk. And that way to walk is in the fear of the Lord. In the love of the Lord. You see? And... 
It just blows me away so much because it is written. We have these Old Testament examples. We have the New Testament examples. We have example upon example upon example. Just like verse 14 says, Therefore fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord! Exclamation point. You say, well, how does that deny biological family? Well, the only way it doesn't deny biological family is when biological family trains the next generation of righteousness. Look at Timothy. Look at Timothy and his mom and grandma. Eunice and Lois. Look at that lineage. Yeah, biological. Biological, yes. But you know what's above that? Spiritual. You see? No breakage in that. When there's no breakage in that, praise be to the Lord. When there is breakage in that, listen, the Lord is paramount. The Lord is everything. Old man Joshua. What about, we're talking to the second generation here. They're in the promised land, but at this point, they got kids, some grandkids. Picture that younger generation hearing, who's this old guy? Mom, dad, look, this old guy's, he's talking mess about you. He's talking mess about grandma and grandpa. Who's this old guy? He's so mean. He's so mean. And old man Joshua. If it seems evil to serve the Lord, you choose balls in your court. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, the, the, the gods which your father served in verse 15 that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites. You see? So there's more. It's not just the idolatry of family. But now that the gods, the, the idols of the family, that, that's on one side of the river. But on this side of the river, it's the gods of the Amorites. You see? There's more. Everybody has to make a choice. I meant for you young kids, my young brothers, my young sisters. If you're in a home that's crazy, where you know, I mean, you're walking with the Lord and you know all about formula. You might be like 13, 14, 15. And you know all about formula and praise be to the Lord. And you've identified like, okay, mom is crazy. Dad is crazy. I love them, but they're straight up crazy. And you're like, okay, 18 years old, I can't stand, you know, mom wants to be alcoholic and, you know, dad wants to go and cheat and do all these things and they want to go do the Buddha and go gambling and do all these things. You're, you know, 15 years old, 16 years old, 17 years old, boom, 18, out. And you're flapping your wings and praise be to the Lord. And don't just think that everything's fine and dandy at that point. Because there's going to be more idols wherever it is that you go. There's going to be more idols. You have a choice to make. It's one thing to stand for the Lord when you're in the home of your upbringing. But when you leave that, you still got to stand for the Lord. 
And that's what's happening to Israel here. And old man Joshua, look, you want to serve the idols that your father served? Your, your parents, your grandparents, you want to serve them? Okay, balls in your court. You want to serve the, these gods over here on this side of the river with the Amorites, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell? Okay, balls in your court. But he says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see? We will serve the Lord. I love that so much. I'm so in love with Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, in the last days, when a man's enemies will be those in his own household, it is no longer as for me and my house. You know what it is? As for me, I will serve the Lord. Because prophetically speaking, homes are going to turn crazy. Prophetically speaking, lands will turn crazy. Churches will turn crazy. Homes will turn crazy. Prophetically speaking, as for me, I will serve the Lord. That's what the Joshua says in the last days. And when I say Joshua, I'm speaking metaphorically, male or female. Remember, in Christ, there is no male or female. Verse 16, so the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. That's what they say. And, you know, this is very sad. I mean, it's beautiful to see it here in this particular chapter, but it breaks my heart. Why? Because in short time, they do exactly what they say they won't do. They become apostate. Always remember, effectuation of promise requires a formula. I'll say it again. Effectuation of promise requires formula. And when the formula is off, so is the promise for that individual. When the formula is off in an individual, so is the promise for that individual. The only remedy is repentance. Repent, 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 repent. Oh, but we're not saved by works. Absolutely true. But don't forget, it is also written, we are saved for works. Ephesians 2 verse 10. We're not saved by works. We're saved for works. Remember, just so happens we're studying this in Hebrews. We come to Jesus with 0%. 0% righteousness because our righteousness is filthy rags. As the Bible says, none is righteous. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But once we come to Jesus and we grow and mature in, in Jesus and we abide in Jesus. And remember, he says, abide in me and I in you. If Jesus Christ is in you, he's not 0%. He's going to move us forward to 10%, 20%, 30 40 50 60 When you hit 100, you're going to be dead. Joshua here, he's about to hit 100. He's like at 99.99, but he's about ready to hit 100. You see? Paul in, you know, 2 Timothy, he's almost at 100. When he hits 100, dead. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see? And the people, they say, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord, our God, in verse 17, is he who brought us, who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did, who did great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. 
And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land, who also will serve who who we who we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. What is said is beautiful. But do hands, do feet, do heart, and do mind, do they reflect what is said? Do hands, feet, heart, and mind reflect what is said? The answer is no. People can say whatever they want. But when you look at the fruit, you look at the works of their hands, the steps of their feet, you see the fruit of the heart, the fruit of the mind. Does it reflect what is said? You have a pastor, a pastor who's on his fourth marriage and his previous wives, they haven't died. That's called adultery. And he beats on his fourth wife and he beats her and he cheats on her and he's at the pulpit and standing. He can say whatever he wants, but you know what? The hands, the feet, the heart, and the mind, it's not reflective of what is said. If you're in a fellowship and you see that, you cannot submit to such a person. You see? I mean, it's beautiful what we see being said by the people in verse 16. Far be it from us, they say. Far be it from us. It's, it's beautiful to see. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. In verse 18, for he is our God. In verse 19 here, but Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord. You cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Whoa, this is bold of Joshua to say this. Now, is Joshua making a blanket statement here that God won't forgive? Now, we know that God absolutely forgives. We know that he absolutely forgives. So what is he referring to? What is Joshua referring to? I'll give you the answer. He remembers what Moses said. Joshua is an old man. Moses was an old man when he said it, but Moses has already died. He remembers what Moses said in Deuteronomy 31. In one chapter, in one chapter, God says, I won't forsake you. And in the same chapter, he says, I will forsake you. What happened? You know what the answer is? The people became apostate. Joshua knows that apostasy is prophesied. You and me today, in these last days, apostasy is prophesied. It's a sign of the last days. And Joshua tells the people about formula. He says in verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. Do you see how shocking verse 20 is? Do you see how shocking verse 20 is? If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. Now, you, you can read verse 20. Don't, don't read it like a threat. 
You know, hey, look, if you do this, then okay, you're toast. Don't read verse 20 as a threat. Let's look at verse 20 backwards. Verse 20, one verse. Let's look at it backwards. Where God has done good to us. Praise be to the Lord. But then God will consume us. Whoa. Now we're getting into scary territory. God will do us harm. Whoa. You see, the condition is laid out. And the condition is this. If we serve foreign gods, if we forsake the Lord, that's what happens when you read verse 20 backwards. The condition is laid out. You know what the remedy is? Don't serve other gods. Don't forsake the Lord. It's so simple. It's so simple. Don't serve other gods. But now it's a matter of the mind. Now it's a matter of the mind. Oh, just a little sex. No big deal. Oh, just a little crack. No big deal. Just a little alcohol. Just a little casino. A little prostitution. A little Buddha. A little extortion. No biggie. And there's my favorite. Why wouldn't God want this for me? It's often said by the carnal. I mean, almost always said by the carnal, but when you see satanic seduction, oh, why wouldn't God want me to, you know, get baked when I feel good? Why wouldn't God want me to have this? Why, look, I could take care of my family. Why wouldn't God want this for me? You see, little crack, take the pain away. Little casino, some extra money, little extortion here, extra money. Why wouldn't God want this for me? Look what the people say to Joshua. In verse 21, and the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witness against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. You see, one side of me sees this as beautiful. The other side sees this as painful. Painful. Because of what happens. When Joshua and the elders die, things go pretty bad, pretty quick. See, leadership matters. Leadership matters. In verse 23, now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you. Notice the heart of Achan has returned. The heart of Achan has returned. Remember Joshua 7, the heart of Achan, the sin of Achan. In the war footing of Israel in chapter 7, in the war footing, victory and defeat was easy, easy to discern because there was a war footing. Casualties on the battlefield are immediately seen and immediately it impacts the camp with Achan. Why was he a detriment? Why was Achan detrimental to Israel? You see, bad formula in Achan. Now, this formula, this bad formula in Achan, it was not exposed until the battle. And then it was quickly addressed. And that's during war. The war footing during battle, during combat. But what about when there's no war? What about when there's no war? There's no easy exposure of a bad formula. 
And if there's no easy and quick exposure, there's no easy and quick addressing. You see, the heart of Achan spreads quickly. I mean, you look like it look you look at active duty military guys and gals. You look at active duty. Everybody's fit, you know, fully capable. But then, like, you know, they get out of active duty and then you they, they get chubby, you know. You you see veterans like chubby veterans. It's just they're not in a war footing anymore. You see? Where when active duty, they're trained like crazy. But they're done, and it's like, you know, they get a little chubby. Spiritually speaking, the same thing happens. In a war posture, in a fighting posture, it's, remember Paul, when Paul says, like, when he's speaking to the the elders of Ephesus at the Miletus meeting in Acts chapter 20, and he says to them, I know that after my, after my departure, ravenous wolves will come in. And he's speaking to the elders. He says to the elders, some of you will become wolves. He doesn't, he doesn't say that in a prideful sense, uh, after my departure, because look, I'm awesome. And, you know, no, he doesn't say that. But he's got the goods. He's in a war footing. You see? Look at the defunct of Corinth. Look at the leaven of Corinth. Why did the leaven get there? Remember, I have my love-hate relationship with Corinthians. Why is it that that happened? It's the defunctness of the pastors, of the shepherds, of the so-called teachers. You see? And because of their failure to teach, because of their defunctness, Look at what happened. Look how it impacted the church. You see? I'll put this another way. Works. Works, which is a package deal. Faith and works. Works and faith. I mean, remember, the, we got a number two now. We got our hamburger and tater tots and a soda. I've been saying it in that order. Burger, tater tots, soda. But... If you say it the other way around, soda, tater tots, and burger, it's the same package. It's just said differently. One way it's burger, tater tots, soda. The other way it's soda, tater tots, and burger. You say the two are different. No, they're exactly the same. They're just said different. And that's works and faith. Faith and works. Package deal. And works serve as an aid in holiness. Remember, we just studied this on Sunday. Remember the slothful, lazy, and stupid from our Sunday study? Don't be, don't be that way. Don't be slothful in your faith, in your walk with the Lord. Don't be lazy. Grow, mature, advance. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth, fifth, and on to perfection. Remember? If the Lord permits, if the Lord permits, because the Lord also knows the heart. I mean, if the Lord permits, I mean, 
He was in, in, in Acts chapter 8. He was permitting with Philip the evangelist and the fruit of his efforts and the fruit of his works, except with one. Why? Because wickedness. And that's Simon. You see? And so, old man Joshua, he says in verse 23, Now therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your ears to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. How beautiful is verse 24. We will serve the Lord and his voice we will obey. But again, we're spoiled. This hurts me because in very short time, you're going to see apostasy. And it hurts. It's painful. Look what happens here in verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up under and he set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us. And it, and it shall be a witness to us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. Verse 28, so Joshua let the people depart each to his own inheritance. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Serah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Ge Geash. Verse 31, in closing, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. And you know, verse 31, it kills me. It hurts. Because you look at verse 31, Israel served the Lord. Wow, it's so beautiful. But it's all the days of Joshua. Why not all their days? Why is it all the days of Joshua? Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders. Why not the days of Israel? Why is it reserved to just the days of Joshua and just the days of the elders who outlived Joshua? Why? Why isn't it not Israel served the Lord for all their days? Remember, a lot of animals. A lot of animals. Why? A lot of blood. Why? A lot of sin. A lot of trespass. Leadership matters. Leadership matters. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. You see, leadership matters. These leaders knew the works of the Lord. The elders, Joshua. Remember, Joshua chapter 1, very difficult passage, very difficult study. Because how much I desire the promises of God to be effectuated in you. But Paul's in your court. You have a choice to make. 
We see here in verse 32, the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem. You see? The bones of Joseph, this is Joseph. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt. This is the bones of Joseph, Zaphnath Paneah. Zaphnath Paneah at the right hand of Pharaoh. Remember our study in Genesis? Who was married to a Gentile wife? Buried in the same area where Jesus spoke of living water. You see? The well of Jacob. Where Jacob had water for his family. And Jesus spoke of living water. And he also has a Gentile bride. Put more correctly, a bride-to-be. You see? How beautiful. When you have the full counsel of the Word of God, which we have. I mean, we could look at it one way and be like, oh, we're so spoiled, we're so spoiled. But in another sense, praise be to the Lord that we are spoiled because we have the full counsel of the Word of God so that we can see and understand like, oh my goodness. What? The Lord has done and how beautiful and good he is. And so they take the bones of Joseph. They bury them at Shechem in the plot of ground, which Jacob had brought from his sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem for 100 pieces of silver and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. You see, the high priest has died too. These are the men who are strongholds for Israel. Remember, leadership matters. Now, they start dying. Joshua died. Eleazar died. The elders start dying. And with their death also comes the death of these spiritual strongholds that protect and guide the people. It's like Israel without a shepherd. And the son of promise, the good shepherd, whom Moses wrote about. His time is coming for Israel. Oh, Israel. Remember when he's speaking? To, oh, Israel. Oh, Israel. How I long to take you under my wing as a mother hen. See? we see in verse 33 in closing that Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him on the mountains of Ephraim. We come to the end of our study in the book of Joshua. And we see that there's this challenge this challenge posed by old man Joshua. Then this challenge is serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. And in closing, in honor of the Lord and his work through Joseph, we'll close with verse 15. 
If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, the, the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the god gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What about us? What about us? What about you? Let us be a people that wholeheartedly serves the Lord no matter what. You want my head? Take it. I'm serving the Lord. You want my life? Take it. I'm serving the Lord. You see, you want to punch me? Go ahead. I'm serving the Lord. You want to kick me? You want to spit at me? Go ahead. I'm serving the Lord. It's so beautiful to have these Israel under Joshua. Beautiful. Under Moses, beautiful. We're going to get into the next book and it I have to admit it's painful. It's painful. But when you understand formula, what you see is that God does exactly what he said he would do. Just like our study in Deuteronomy 28. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And he's just he's just doing exactly what he said he'd do. Nothing nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. And praise be to the Lord that you and me, we do have the full counsel of the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, so that we can read and learn, yes, the good, also the bad and the ugly. There's some ugly passages, but we can learn from them. Painful passages, but we can learn from them and grow and mature. Moving on to perfection, to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.